All right, salutations, listeners. Sivalis Vallejo, Valamagulis, Nananu. Thank you for tuning in. This is Three Men and a Basement, and we are the Ultra Crepidarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Alpier. Timothy Magic, checking in. Uh, in this podcast, we review movies and we deliver to you, the listener, an average schmuck's opinion about hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. In this show, we try and target movies that are not blockbuster smashes and ones that are not so obscure that you couldn't get your hands on a copy if you wanted to, but instead we aim for that delightful sweet spot of movies that are right in the middle. Uh, we try to look for films that, in our experience, not enough people have seen, maybe people have only heard of, or ones that people may have seen back in the day when they first came out but have uh, forgotten about and those films deserve another watch. So... We review these, and then we deliver to you our take on whether or not they're worth hunting down and watching for yourself. So, in this, the sixth episode of the podcast, we review the movie Citizen X. Uh, Citizen X, IMDb Crap, version. We, we, we fucked it up. Oh, God, we should have done this as the tenth episode. Ah, For the Roman yes. numerals. Ooh. Dang it. Because of X. Uh, that was very clever. <laughs> wah, wah. I should have waited for this until February because this is the story about Malcolm X, right? This is Black this is History not Month. Actually, I I'm very surprised. What? I like the I like the deep cut there. What? You yes. tricked me, Colin. Yes, you tricked me. I was waiting for was waiting for that actor. I am tricking all of you. We just oh my completely gosh. we completely took it over. Anyhow, <laughs> this week we watched the movie Citizen X. This is an HBO TV movie that you probably haven't heard of. But uh, it's, it's pretty good. Not a lot of people have. So this movie, this was my pick this week. And I got to say, like, this is the movie that I direct people to when somebody comes out of the blue and says, hey, what's a movie I've probably never even heard of that I should watch? This is the movie I direct them to or one of maybe like a handful of five or so. Now, do we feel like we're cheating a little bit that it's... Uh... It's an HBO original instead of something theatrically released. See, I don't think so. I, no. I think this is the kind of movie that, like, it, it absolutely deserved a theatrical release. Mm -hmm. release if it didn't get one. I don't think it did. I think it was straight to HBO, but it, it fucking deserved uh, mm -hmm. to be in the theaters. Um, I think, so, from what I understand, the movie Hocus Pocus was originally supposed to be a Disney Channel original it movie. Original. It was supposed yeah. to be yeah. only released on uh, the Disney Channel, and it yeah. wasn't until... They were in production or, or shortly before production that they were like, I think this movie's got the chops to be in the theaters mm. and not just, you know, for TV release. And they, they moved up, they sort of stepped the production up to a theatrical release. Sprinkled I think this, money on it. this movie should have had that happen. Gotcha. Yeah. A good, good comparison. Yeah. I would, I put those in the same camp. Yeah. So this movie, uh, came out in 1995, runtime of an hour and 45 minutes. It is rated R. Uh, which I think is is definitely appropriate. Quite warranted. <laughs> yes, needed. Um, and it is listed as a biography crime drama. Hmm. I think it's about there. Uh, biography may be a little that's generous. Strong. That's generous. <laughs> it's historical. Gracious. It covers the bullet um, points of yeah, the era. Yeah, gracious uh, artistic liberties given. Yeah. So this movie it does kind of follow one character. But it doesn't follow him so closely that I would, like, my mind would jump to biography. It's not like no. a a full history of this person's life. Yeah. Uh, however, there is sort of a, a main character that it follows. I, I always take a grain of salt whenever we watch movies with, based on historical events or based on a true story. That's the, that's the uh, rub, isn't it? You have to 
look out for what they're going to add for Flourish or for cinema and audiences, general yeah. audiences. Uh, so for our IMDb description, we've got, during the 1980s, Soviet authorities hunt for a serial killer who picks up victims in railway stations and commuter trains and lures them into the woods. I feel like that is very bare bones yeah. of this movie. I feel like it, none of it's wrong. But it's really just the, that's the, the nuts and bolts. Tip. That's the very tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it sets a setting, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it gives you something to connect with if you go into it. But it certainly does not do the movie justice. No. We'll cover it a little bit more, maybe, in spoilers. Yeah. But that is sort of like a very base description. I think a sort of spoiler-free version mm-hmm. uh, in addition to that might be... Um, it sort of follows the person who is hunting the most notorious serial killer in Russian history and sort of mm-hmm. poises him against the Russian state because he's trying to capture this serial killer whilst being sort of overrun or overwashed by uh, mm-hmm. what Russian officials are willing to to admit and, and go forth with. So that's sort of a spoiler-free version um, to add to the IMDb description. Yeah. Um, director, we've got uh, Chris... Girolmo? Anybody? Anybody know him? Nope. Not a not a household name. For no, me. no. <laughs> sorry. I think you did a great job, but I uh, sorry, Chris. I don't know who you sure, are. Fine. Some of the, uh, good, some good of the listeners might know. Um, stars though, uh, we've got Stephen Ray. I actually always thought it was Rhea, but but I think uh, I heard recently it pronounced Ray, and and I think that might actually be how it is. Stephen Ray, you might know from Fear dot com, another movie that's on our list to review. He was a uh, um, one of the main characters in that. Uh, what else was he I in? Think for me, I recognized him most from V for Vendetta. Same. Yes, um, same. It dawned on me like twenty yeah. minutes into the movie, like, wait a second, this is the same hard-boiled detective. <laughs> yep, and he's still making yeah. a lot of movies. So oh he's, yeah, he's still a name. You know, maybe not not a headliner, but you've seen his face. Yeah, definitely seen his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this movie, we also have Donald Sutherland, little-known actor, just a silver fox. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you will not know who this guy is when nah. you see him. No, uh, no, be charmed by his charisma. No, <laughs> yeah, never. I think even the younger generation is going to know who he is because of his roles in the Hunger Games. Yeah, exactly so, right. Yeah. You're going to know this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was also in uh, A Time to Kill, nice. one of my yeah, favorites. So um, played that old timey lawyer type. Donald Sutherland has just been sort of like a timeless icon of cinema. He just charms the pants right off me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, he literally right came off, off during the viewing of this. I'm sorry, guys. Yep. I'm putting them back on now. I think the the last of like the the big names we've got um, Max von Sydow. Uh, again, he's another face that you're gonna recognize. Um, you know, if you've seen HBO, he he's the uh, the three eyed Raven in that. Mm-hmm. I think that's that for me was what jumped out. Did you guys have any? you know, movies of his that, that really jumped out at you? Uh, for Max? He was definitely, uh, so he was in uh, Minority Report, as I recall. Yeah. But also, uh, he, his career was definitely, like, more golden, uh, I think, in, like, the 60s, 70s, and 80s. He was in <laughs> Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, Shit, my, my pretentious cinephile butt is, like, just uh, quivering because I'm like, he was in The Seventh Seal! Oh my god! in the Criterion Collection, guys. Oh, my goodness. Yes. He is. <laughs> he is. <laughs> um, so, two other people that uh, I think you, you, some of you might know by face, but not by name. Uh, we've got Imelda Staunton, who I absolutely could never have put a name to, but <laughs> uh, some of our viewers or listeners 
might know her as Dolores Umbridge That's from right. the Harry Potter series. Yep. Uh, she is in this. Yeah, I think that was her in uh, Order of the Phoenix. Yep, Order of the Phoenix, Shakespeare in Love, big screen, small screen, Paddington 2, everybody loved the Paddington movies, so... Everybody loved them. Everybody loved them. How do you not like Paddington? How do you hate Paddington? Also in this, we've got Joss Ackland. I don't know if I'm how well I'm pronouncing that, but uh, you might know him from A Kid in King Arthur's Court. He played uh, <laughs> yeah. he played King Arthur. Oh, God, he's got such a... De- you, you know, when he, once you see his face, you'll know him. Very unforgettable face. Yes. Um, he's kind of got like a... Um, like um, an angry Santa that like shaved his beard. Yes, beard. <laughs> yeah, he's got these bug like, eyes. Like, yeah, he's, he's like he's like if Mar- if Marty Feldman and Santa had a kid. Yeah, like mm-hmm. this is this is who they would birth. Uh, he was also in uh, the second Bill and Ted movie, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. He plays the bad guy. I can't remember his his character's name, but yeah, definitely <laughs> yeah. A, a solid a solid cast, especially for like an HBO movie. Like they yeah. they pulled out some stops to 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 ring in some of these people. So props to them. All right, so that's anything else on our on our spoiler free territory, our elevator version of this oh, movie. Do we do we not want to like list the serial killer right now, uh, Jeffrey uh, Demon? Oh, Demon, Demon, Demon. Yeah, because uh, I again, it's uh, one of those faces. Once you see him, it's like, oh shoot, I, I know him from so many things. What, what would the listeners uh, probably most Green Mile and the Mist is the first oh. thing that comes to mind um, for me. Yeah, a lot. He's he's just perfect for a spooky shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the mess, like the green mile. Yeah, he's definitely got uh, an unsettling kind of like. He's got one of those stares mm-hmm. that just like he he can look right through you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, very very unsettling. Very intense actor. It's a good choice for this role too. Yeah, oh, he nailed it. Uh, 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 he almost stole the show from Stephen Rea. Right. Yeah, for me anyway. So, would we recommend this movie? Well, um, I would. I don't think this movie's for everybody. Um. You know, it's not, it's not a, it's not an action movie. You know, I think it's, some people are going to get bored with it, but I think it's definitely worth seeing, especially for the, I don't know, just the being exposed to the, the, I don't know, the reality that was that and how it's kind of shaped um, crime investigations uh, kind of going forward. I think that we learned something from this particular, you know, case study, but yeah, no, I would recommend it. Tim? Uh, yes, again with that, uh, trigger warning. I, I do have to, not for the faint of heart. I think I have to, uh, preface that. Um, going in, obviously it's an HBO movie. Obviously it's for adult audiences. It's, uh, our rating, if I remember on IMDb, what we were saying. Watch it, but if you're sensitive to things of, of serial murder, child of murder, sexual, yeah, of, pedophilia and mutilations if you're sensitive to just being pro-america don't watch this movie to be fair like they don't really show a lot no 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 it's it's a lot of graphic it's implied but the content is very like you know don't watch this with your kids no Um, no 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 no. again all adults only (laughs) but uh grain of salt asterisk yeah it's it's graphic but i liked it but i liked it again if you're one of those people who watches how to catch a murder or how to Make a murderer. Uh, if you watch the John Wayne Gacy documentaries, if you if you're a fan of all of that stuff, yeah, this is right up your alley. But uh, if you're not, if that stuff that you shy away from from your next uh, Netflix subscription, yeah, pass this. Pass on this. So how about you, Colin? I, I I feel like I already know the answer, but you know. Yeah, I think you prefaced this as uh, something you uh, recommend to people who haven't seen. 
I fucking love this movie. I I think this movie is uh, so underrated. It's the kind of movie that uh really if you haven't seen it see it as as quickly as possible i will agree that like if you're the type of person that's particularly sensitive to this type of subject Mm. matter um yeah maybe it's maybe it's not for you but i would say for your for your standard person uh you'll probably like this movie the reason i think a lot of people like this movie is like the popularity of a lot of television shows that highlight like serial killers and the hunt for them and you know you got csi you got ncis you've got you know name any other fucking initialism that's that's going to be uh running on a tuesday night on nbc like (laughs) Mm -hmm. this this highlights an interest in this type of thing um that i think is is kind of innate almost in people like you're you're interested in in uh this type of aberrant human behavior and and you're interested in how we can characterize it and then use that characterization to catch the people who would perpetrate these horrible crimes. And this movie is a brilliant dissection of that um, from a character who really has been given none of the, none of the heavy lifting done for them with respect to uh, criminal profiling, to uh, these types of things. This person literally like wrote their own book to catch one of the most like horrific killers in the history of his nation. So um, I absolutely recommend this movie um, to just about everybody except for children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So with that being said, I think we're, we're ready to sort of transition into spoiler territory. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Spoil it. Okay. So we are moving into st- spoiler territory. So deep personal overview of this movie. Uh, we open in 1982 and ba- Stephen Ray's character plays a medical examiner in the Soviet state in in the USSR in this small town. It's his like first day on the job and he's kind of getting used to things and this policeman like the the head of the local police yeah. uh comes in with a body. Plain clothes uh policeman. Yeah, yeah. kind of like a detective. Yeah. Kind of like a detective. Yeah. And he comes in with this body and Stephen Rea is, or Re, Ray, fuck, sorry. <laughs> Stephen Ray is doing his examination and he notices, like, this person was murdered and it was, like, it was pretty savage. And he tells the policeman, like, go look through the woods um, to see if uh, basically anything else was, uh, uh, anything could be used to identify this body. Mm-hmm. And so the policeman, you know, it's kind of funny because the policeman's like, it's five o'clock, I'm off right now. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Ray's like, I don't, care what time it is like get out there and look and so the cop goes and it takes Stephen ray a couple hours to do the autopsy and the guy comes back with like six more bodies that they found in the woods all with the same type of of wounds all with the same type of um uh disfigurement and he immediately realizes that he's got a serial killer on his hands Mm -hmm. like you know next scene he's in before we move on yeah i want to like again dress this up as an amazing adaption of the screenplay that we are being shown and not told that this is Stephen Ray's first day. Like he's like he's very new. He's very green to this job. The predecessor is mentioned briefly, but they were already getting a, a foundation that he's like making a new office, doing yeah. a new uh, set of rules. He's and it's all done. He's the new guy. through the through the dialogue. Exactly. Not, it's not, not clunky. Ham fisted kind of. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah it, 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 it basically gets revealed that his predecessor was sort of funny and jovial, but also very incompetent and lazy. Yeah. And uh, it's very clear that there's friction now between the head police officer and, and Stephen Ray's character because he basically is not that way. He's very pedantic, very meticulous, and he cares about what he is doing. Mm -hmm. And there's immediately friction between the two of them because he's nothing like his predecessor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after a beat, not long of a beat, it's like the next day, he has this, like, meeting with all of the head Russian officials Mm -hmm. locally. So you've got uh, the mayor, you've got the local head of the KGB, You've got the head of the militia, played by Donald Sutherland, and then probably the most powerful person in the room, you've got... Um, like the head of the party. The head of the party. Yeah, the, the head the, of the, the communist, the communist party. party. Yeah. Uh, of the, that, like, region. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And He's very concerned about party members and about uh, the presentation of government and how we are in control. We've never had any problems before. He drinks the Kool-Aid. We do, yeah, yeah. We do not have serial killers. We do not have... <laughs> Um, any disturbances like they do in those weird uh, western West. states. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and that is, that is absolutely the greeting that he gets. Mm-hmm. Like, he walks into this room... Neatly stonewalled. Yeah, the first thing he says is, um, it's very clear that we've already got a serial killer on our hands, and already the most prolific in Russian history. Mm-hmm. And basically all of the faces are like, nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> and actually, the, the thing I absolutely love about this scene is... It sets the stage for both Stephen Ray's character and Donald Sutherland's character. So basically what happens is Stephen Ray is is uncompromising. He walks into the room and he says, this is what we need. No ifs, ands, or buts. This is, these are the resources that we need. Yeah. Donald Sutherland's character basically stays quiet while all of these other characters are basically saying, absolutely not, it's not a serial killer, that's not possible, even if it were, like, it's probably this, blah, blah, they're, like, making excuses. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Donald yeah, Sutherland... Stephen is, uh, Stephen's character is making claims. In 1982, Iron Curtain is still down, Berlin Wall, still up. He's asking to talk to the Americans, he's asking to go public, he's asking for more a men. Yeah. Yeah. He is, yeah, he is... Cast in a line for a big yeah. fish, and he ain't gonna get it. No, and and, and meanwhile, Donald, Donald, Donald Sutherland Donald is sitting there, he and he's it. he's taking notes yeah. about what Stephen Ray is demanding, and it's it's that's so important to understanding the story because he's basically the person who understands how to play the game. You are not going to get anywhere in the Soviet state by just walking in and demanding, like, we need to parlay with the Americans, and we need more men, and we need to go public with this. Like, that's not going to happen. What you do is you, you, you identify what you need. And then you find sort of like surreptitious ways of getting it. And he's good at that. He's good at playing the game, playing politics. And he knows Stephen Rea is smart, methodical, and isn't going to say he needs something that he doesn't need. Mm -hmm. But Donald Sutherland knows how to get it. Mm -hmm. And that's the brilliance of the the two characters sort of working Mm -hmm. in tandem. Yeah, it's the practical versus the politic. It's awesome. And, yeah. and early on in the movie, you don't appreciate that, you know, his character is, is trying to help Stephen Ray. Oh, it's you know, very subtle at you, first. You really kind of get the impression that he is a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and it isn't It isn't until probably like the midway point or you know, even three quarters of the way through the movie that like you really start appreciating how he is pulling strings but not advertising that he's doing so he never he never says hey hold on let me do some things and i'll get it done exactly it's, hey it's already done here is what you need. right again it's so brilliant because it's it's all behind the scenes and like it's just 
played out through the course of the movie mm-hmm. seamlessly. Again, it's not clunky at all. I love that. Yeah, and one of the things so that many I, moments there like that that I liked about it is it you know it really kind of showcases bureaucracy, you know, red tape, you mm-hmm. know, from an outsider's perspective initially with Stephen Ray's character kind of coming into the wall, mm-hmm. um, you know, no pun intended. Um, but then I think it, throughout the movie it fleshes out you know what bureaucracy can really be. You know, it's not uh, this like faceless piece of red tape. It's not you know this legion of politicians in a room. It's just a handful of guys who have very different points of view, very different priorities. And And understandings. Yeah, and a lot of human biases. I mean, they spend a good chunk of the time um, during their investigation ridiculously just arresting random homosexuals because the the party head believes that that was the case you know he he wanted to blame it on the on the gays basically mm-hmm. um so just keep arresting him keep arresting him and Stephen Ray, ray's character realizes that you know he has to do this because he's being told but he has no belief that this is the correct path to take again you just see that downtrodden and like discouraged hard-boiled look on the <laughs> on ray's face the whole time yep. and he just magnifies that it's awesome very defeated very defeated anybody just pulls that off as a character flawlessly yeah i mean like there's one there at one point there there's this person who is like all right they say retarded in the film so i'm just gonna use the word retarded and he's in an institute (laughs) yeah he's in an institute Mm -hmm. and he you know you can't see my hands i'm doing air quotes he confesses Mm -hmm. and then they're trying to get him to lead them to the the murder sites and he's like they're like coaching him through it and Stephen Ray is like okay this is fucking stupid this this guy obviously didn't do it he's been Mm -hmm. coerced and so they like have this guy in custody and then of course another murder is perpetrated and uh, Stephen Ray is like at the next meeting I hope this puts to rest the idea that a a retard from the institute perpetrated these murders and the the party head literally looks him in the face and goes why and Stephen Ray's like because he was in custody when the murder was perpetrated yeah. <laughs> and they just like they they genuinely don't care it's because it's not about finding the murderer. No, it's, it's, it's about putting the yeah, putting a lid on it. Yeah, play play to our you know, our reality. Mm-hmm. So, um, basically, this movie takes place over almost ten years yeah. when uh, Stephen Ray's character is is basically trying to hunt down this serial killer who has a pension for young, mostly female, but not exclusively youths um a few adults but it was it was like 70 or 80 percent uh uh, children under 17 more than 50 percent were under the age of 18 yeah Yeah. it was like 52 total 37 of which were under 17 yeah Yeah. and and basically his his method was to pick up uh these people at the train station Mm -hmm. um and then he would get them in like an isolated spot kill them and then you know do his his nastiness it's it's like a pretty horrific like the way this guy killed and and one of the things that i think is absolutely brilliant about this film is they decided very early on to expose the killer like you know who the killer is almost the entire movie Mm. and it's it's not at all a guess and i love that because it builds this sense of like being right around the corner like you you want to shout at the the screen yeah you want to shout at the screen like he's right there like and actually at very early on when this was happening Uh, they found him multiple times they they actually had him in custody Mm -hmm. and they released him because he was a party member Mm -hmm. in good standing well and that 
yes, that's why they did it. But the way that the movie kind of showcases that action is Stephen Ray's character has him. He believes mm-hmm. that it's him, mm-hmm. and he's very much just has told him, has him going dead to, to rights. Rope, knife in the bag, in the bag, dead, yeah. literally in the bag. Yeah. But you know, because he's a registered party member, mm-hmm. you know, we we're going back to our just room of a couple of guys. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a party member. You're gonna release him. Release you know? him. He's not gay. <laughs> basically you know i mean they didn't say that specifically but, <laughs> but yeah that's a, that was their... a subject, again with the party head yeah yeah so mm-hmm. they they have to release him and he continues to do yeah. what he was doing exactly now it, it did turn out and we're in full spoilers here you know it did turn out that that initial capture did play into mm-hmm. you know just highlighting mm-hmm. his face when they ultimately did bring him down you mm-hmm. know they, it was that they they recognized that the same person came up as a suspect who was a suspect previously, and that was mm-hmm. kind of what tied the knot. For that him. is like true. Five, yeah, five six years l- uh, later, they're like, wait a second, you've seen this guy? You remember him? Okay, we gotta take him in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is, <clears throat> and then again, this is this is going from Berlin Wall, still up 82, 1990, coming down. It's down. Yeah, and actually, regimes. what's interesting is that was actually. Um, that was probably the most important part of the movie politically mm-hmm. is, um, basically this entire time, Donald Sutherland's character is trying to, again, very surreptitiously gather resources for, uh, Rhea's investigation of this killer. And he's, tr- he's kind of having trouble doing so. But then, uh, when the wall comes down, he gets promoted to be a general. Again, because he plays politics very well, he positioned himself to be promoted when, uh, this all happened. And, he basically goes to Steven Rea's character in, in, in one of the best sequences in the film and is basically like, you need men, you've got men. You need to talk to the FBI, you've got it. You, you know, anything that you need, we can now do it. You want publicity? As much as you, as much as I can get you, I will. And it's basically this like outpouring of resources. Mm-hmm. And that's what ultimately leads to the capture because they can use what they have. Mm-hmm. And what's really like, uh, what do I want to say frustrating maybe throughout this whole thing is, it is a lack of resources and specifically like because the Russian government would never admit that this was happening. Stephen Ray's character is basically writing the book. He's, he's building the plane as he's flying it mm-hmm. and he can't contact the FBI and say, Hey, what do you guys have so far? What am I probably looking at? What should I be looking at that I'm not? Exactly. He basically is just inventing all of this shit mm-hmm. as he's going. And he's I, I so closed off from the West. Yeah this whole time for eight plus years and nobody in the soviet union's ever done this yeah, exactly they've not and he's a medical examiner he is not yeah. he's not a detective mm-hmm. he is a medical examiner that just took on this mantle which is i think another kind of brilliant part of this story yeah i, I didn't really think about this earlier but there is a a stark change like you were talking about after the wall comes down mm-hmm. do you from from our from our bias do you think this is in in part a propaganda piece a little bit this came out in 1995 this was Actually, not that far after that took place. Mm, you're right. Um, after the close of the case. You know, this whole, once the wall comes down, everything is better. You know, the sun is shining. You know, this, even the, you know, even the weather throughout the movie is very kind of dreary. Once the wall comes down, things are shiny. You know, clothes are looking different. The resources pour in. What, what do you think of that that theory? I could definitely see that being a thing in, um, uh, in Russia, as like, oh, this is American cinema. They're being so dramatic, but at the same time, with communication flowing a little bit more freely in uh, two decades prior mm-hmm. uh, to when we we're recording this, 
it can definitely be uh, seen as a little bit of historical fiction, a little bit of liberties, and a little bit of, you know, truth in the, uh, in the I, I think you probably, like, you could probably make that argument, but at the same time, I feel like you can't cook the books to the point where, like, like, they did capture him after mm-hmm. the fall. They did. And they yeah. did change their strategy after the, after fall. the fall. And, like, some of these things are just, they're, they're too big to turn the ship. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you can, yeah. yeah, you can change the color palette, and you can change, like, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, the weather and shit, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like, you, can you t- can't change, like, the major events, and this stuff did happen after that wall came sure. down. Yeah. Um, it, is gr- it is great, the, the tearing down of, of uh, the poster of Lenin <laughs> uh-huh. uh, as, a, as a figure uh, for the... Yeah, communist block. I don't. Know, I guess that's a bit of a tangent, but yeah. It just, but no, just it fits. Right, so. It's all part of it. You're you're right, Mark. So it is all part of it. Let's uh, let's talk about some of the things that we liked about the acting. Mm. Um, you know, I know for me, I really appreciated Stephen Reyes' uh, character. Um, and honestly, I wasn't a fan of Donald Sutherland's performance until maybe halfway through. Oh, really? You know, initially, and maybe this was intentional. I also looked at him as being very kind of one dimensional. And I guess I, after the fact, I appreciate him more because you're you're kind of you're you're pulled into the narrative that he's actually been working with very you know very handily for a while. Um, See, I, it's funny because I actually completely disagree on the Don, like Donald Sutherland is my favorite character in this huh? movie, and it actually it might be because this is probably like my twentieth time seeing this movie, so oh, I I am very familiar with his character. It's an evolution. You just watch them so. <laughs> Dude, I've watched. So... I, I just I watch movies. That's all I do. <laughs> so much. <laughs> um, but his character, he's he's so subtle in his stuff. He 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 conveys that. Um, he rides that line and conveys his position as the person who rides the fence until it's time to be definitive so well. And that's exactly like what was needed. And like his contribution, like there's no, there's no overstating Stephen Ray's character's contribution, Mm -hmm. but Donald Sutherland's character, like it's very easy to miss all of the things that he did that drove this investigation forward that saved the the investigation and basically saved Steven Rhea from a bullet in some probably in some cases like there there was a point where you know he was talking to his wife and he was like the guy who was the head of the the local communist party he's like he's not happy with me and he's made some threats towards me and they could come and take me in, in the, the night, night. Yeah. and that's that's not good yeah yeah no, you definitely see the stress that Steven Rea feels um, throughout the course of this movie. You see him break down a couple of times at home at the interrogation board uh, or the Communist Party board mm-hmm. of supervisors um, in the woods, um, in the train station. He's just like, uh, again, he just owns this role so well. But again, uh, Donald Sutherland will just charm the pants right off me. I love him. I love his charisma. I love his subtlety, and I love his delivery on his um, his own little cat and mouse um, adventure with the comics. As Stephen Ray is playing cat and mouse uh, with uh, the killer, with Citizen X, Sutherland has to uh, manipulate party officials, people in Moscow, um, yeah. governors, everything. There's, he has to do. He has to run the whole gambit. There is a great little scene where he mm-hmm. kind of like sits back and he says, "You know, I've I found a. Oh, how did he phrase it? You know, a delicious piece of uh, information. gossip. Yeah, a little piece yes. of gossip. A delicious yeah. piece of gossip. Yeah. And he just says it and he just leaves it alone. It's mm-hmm. it's not addressed until a little bit later. And Stephen Ray's character yeah. doesn't 
doesn't probe because yeah. he's not interested. He's not into that. He doesn't like gossip. Too, he finds it. He finds it useless. Of a different coin. Yeah. But but what's really like brilliant about it is a few scenes later. Again, this mm-hmm. this local communist party leader is trying to bring the hammer down on Stephen Ray's character, and he tells Donald Sutherland to fire him, mm-hmm. and Donald Sutherland says no, and then basically they're alone. And the guy starts threatening Donald Sutherland, and Donald Sutherland basically, like, tells the guy that, I know that you are secretly gay, I know that this is the apartment where you keep a, a basically, a male prostitute and shower him with gifts and all this stuff, and I know the dates of all your last visits and blah, 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 mm-hmm. and, like, that was the fucking piece of gossip that he got yeah. from... Uh, uh, from a couple scenes prior, yeah. yeah, and it's it's just absolutely outstanding the way he he wields yes. that that knowledge. Exactly, it's the methodical um, uh, detective work of Ray, and it's the party manipulation, the political manipulation of Sutherland that makes this movie. It's like two sides of the different coin. Yeah, they yeah. work so well. I think it's really interesting that you know just just a quick conversation, just a handful of sentences, can change the course of you know, a, a real life, mm-hmm. like the real world, you know, yeah. that conversation played into getting this killer off the streets. You know, it, it's, it's echoes were so mm-hmm. big and it's, you know, it's, it's execution so small. Exactly. That's, it's, uh, it's what I went through with my uh, writing course in college is like every scene needs to contribute to the plot to move it forward. And this film did that so much. There's nothing wasted. Even the chatter, even that gossip line was not wasted because it mattered to move the plot forward. So one thing that we haven't gotten to is about three quarters of the way through the film, as we said, Stephen Ray's character is is sort of like trying to write the book on catching this serial killer. And what he ends up doing, I think because he heard that the the FBI was doing this as well, is he actually enlisted a psychiatrist Hmm. played by Max von Sydow. And uh, he basically... He has a whole bunch of psychiatrists, and everybody like walks out of yeah, yeah. Every, everybody like so. walks out of the room and is like, absolutely not, you know, no, blah blah we're blah. We're not getting ourselves you know, flagged by the party. Yeah, and um, Max von Sydow's character approaches them afterward, not in the room, and you know, basically makes light of you know, I want to be subtle while I'm risking my career. <laughs> um, and what he ends up doing is he writes a profile based on the information that Stephen Ray's character has provided to him, a mm-hmm. uh, profile of the individual that sort of perpetrated these crimes, and they use that profile to try to narrow the suspects down. And it not only helps in the investigation, in narrowing the, su- narrowing the field, basically, but more importantly... Later in the film, after they've captured um, the serial killer, uh, Chikatilo is the, the guy's real name, mm-hmm. um, after they've captured him, they cannot get him to confess. And unfortunately, sort of due to circumstances, they don't have enough to keep him and they they need him to confess. So what they end up doing is um, the very last day, they bring in Max von Sydow's character um, and he doesn't know what he's doing. So he ends up saying, I'll read to you the the basically the profile of you that I wrote and so he starts reading mm-hmm. um this document that he constructed that he titled Citizen X which is where the that's the namesake of the movie mm-hmm. and it was when he was going through this that it was so accurate that Chickatillo broke down and like 
started reacting emotionally because it was actually like really accurate and it was scaring him. And that's basically how they drew a confession out of him. And it's a fascinating piece of the movie and it is very essential to the sort of conclusion of this particular case. Chikatilo ended up being convicted of all 52 crimes and actually led investigators to, I think, three? Yeah, three other bodies. Three more bodies, undiscovered. Yeah, that was the icing on the cake, you know. Not only did he admit to it and they had everything that they had previously but he was able to take them to just completely new sites so there was no question in anyone's mind and that was i mean i think that was a really brilliant like i mean it's one of those things where it's an interesting story independent of the film but the dramatized version was amazing Mm -hmm. like when maxwell said i was reading this to to chikatilo and you just see him starting to like react to it and you know like one of the things that he said was he was trying to guess as to why all of the victims had their eyes stabbed out Mm-hmm. and he had basically outlined like three different possibilities like one it was like a, a way to dominate them two it, he couldn't stand their gaze even when they were dead and then three was uh this this old idea that an image the last image somebody sees is burned into the back of their eyes and investigators would basically be able to see him in the dead's eyes and when he says that one he like freaks, he freaks out, out and he got, nailed it. He nailed it, and it's just like how basically how did you know that? That's exactly right. <laughs> and they breaks down. Yeah, his neck breaks down. Yeah, Chikadillo breaks down. Brilliant, brilliant scene. It's, it's I mean it's the climax. Yeah, it's the climax of the yes, movie. Yes, because it's the closing point. Because it's the last day. It's four in the morning or something like that, and he's just like. I was right about that. Yeah, and you're definitely like at the and end. Then, like he goes back over. It's all like, was I right about the? About the ejaculation. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, again, basically what he was doing again, while he was killing work. them. Yeah. While it's he was like, killing them, yeah. Did you achieve it? It's like, yeah, sometimes while stabbing, sometimes after. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's just an awful, malicious predator of a, of a person just uh, achieving their sexual desire and their gross animal instincts yeah, to they, kill and I think they do a good job fornicate at the same time. They yeah. do a good job of illustrating the yeah. details and yeah. the I don't know the the horror without actually showing yeah. it. Yeah, there it's are, not graphic. Yeah, there are but several it's, murders it's that actually have kind of minimal amounts of blood. Mm-hmm. You know, you see children's yeah. head mm-hmm. kind of like fall back, mm-hmm. still attached, not removed. It sound that that didn't come out the right way, but just kind of falling yeah, back, cu- blood coming out of the mouth or the eyes. Yeah, yeah but you combine that mm-hmm. imagery with the just the, the, corpses, the words that the, they were using yeah. to describe mm-hmm. the heinous crimes mm-hmm. and it you really mm-hmm. get you really feel the gravity of it yeah i i think the the end of the movie especially like during that climax it's kind of important because it gives you that namesake of the movie where the whole movie you're sort of like why is this called citizen x is this just sort of like a clever a clever phrase but no it's actually very important because it was the 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 name of the document uh, the profile that was basically led to the guy's capture. So one thing that like kind of surprised me this time about watching this movie was I thought the score was like amazing, especially the the intro, like the beginning of the movie, like the score just immediately sucks me into the movie and I'm there. I see for me, I didn't, I don't think the score jumped out for me. You know, I was there, it added to it, you know, but it didn't jump out in the same way other movies have. But uh, can you kind of, how did it make you feel? How did it add to for you? So that's the thing is like I've watched this movie so many times and it really is not 
something that's jumped out to me. And for some reason, when I was watching it this time, it sucked me in and I was like, holy shit, I am in, you know, Soviet Russia circa 1982. Um, it's extremely dark. It is very, like, it's very crushing. And it, it sets the scene, which is very bleak. And, and it, it really sort of, like, drags you through the movie in a really, like, really healthy way, I think. It's, it's, I was very, very impressed with the score of this film, especially for the origins of this film being, like, an HBO movie. Like, I can't imagine that they had a ton to spend on yeah. developing the score. I was very impressed. Yeah. What was the budget? I'm just, just curious. Anybody uh, have that in front of them? I don't know. Yeah. Is that is that on IMDb? No, but I am again. I am really impressed with a lot of the historical accuracy between the uh, again that time lapse of the Lenin poster uh, being intact versus being ripped down. Yeah. I like the cars in the background. I like I like the little Soviet era cars in the background and the I think fortresses. They... I think they really hit it on the head in '95. Um, maybe they just had enough left over. <laughs> yeah, the, they do a good job. The, of the passage but of time. Yeah, it was fair. It was fantastic seeing the transition between like being the small cars versus the bigger cars at the end. A little bit, you know. Yep. It's just um, advancing. I love that little technicality. I love the attention to detail with that. Uh, also, in directing, I gotta say, like I think one of the most brilliant things that they did in this film is there's like there's three different scenes uh where Stephen Ray and Donald Sutherland are basically talking to each other whilst somebody is getting interrogated so they're like on the other side of that one-way mirror and the scene is entirely shot over the shoulder mm. and but you're seeing the other person's face in the reflection of the glass and it's a really like cool creative way that they made um <clears throat> these two characters who are basically standing side by side almost have a face-to-face conversation and and those scenes also tended to be very like chock full very dense with like important points so like that's one of the scenes where uh donald sutherland says like oh i've got this you know delicious bit of gossip they were interviewing one Mm -hmm. of the the homosexuals that had unfortunately been arrested um for you know nothing more than being gay but it was one of those that were arrested it was the guy in the in the tank that had basically revealed that that party official mm-hmm. uh was gay and actually that was really important in that it provided Donald Sutherland some leverage to push back and say like no well, I'm not firing Ray's character yeah basically he's, his job is going to be waiting for him um it's really clever way of shooting those scenes and and props to the director for coming up with that yeah I think creatively, uh, I don't know, we've already kind of covered, I think, some of the creative decisions that they had, you know, whether that be, you know, showing the passage of time or, or kind of what you were talking about, Colin. Um, I, I don't know if I would define this movie by its creativity. It was kind of a by the numbers, but they did it in a, I think, in, a, in an entertaining, intricate way, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, those are my thoughts on, on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what are the kind of intangibles or... Things about this movie jumped out at you guys. The one thing that, uh, thinking about it, jumped out at for the intangibles, it actually traces back to the cover a little bit and traces back uh, to uh, to um executions. Unfortunately, it looks a little glorified. A lot of times, we saw this a little bit in uh, Messenger. Unfortunately, there's a lot of like glorification and a lot of that great score used during the butchering of these youths, of these uh, people that Cisnex executes in the woods somewhere. Unfortunately, it's a little too stylized. It's a little too beautiful. 
So I worry about that a little bit um, to glorify a serial killer's. I could definitely see where somebody would interpret it that way, but I almost see, like, I see it almost differently, and I think what the director may have been going for is, like, the score is very grand during those scenes, and I could see somebody interpreting that as, like, glorification, but it almost Mm. feels like a really dramatic hammer blow. And honestly, I keep saying, I I see this almost like a hammer being struck against Ray's character again and again and again. And like every time a new murder comes up, he is crushed because he views himself as failing. Like, I haven't done this. I haven't Mm -hmm. solved the crime. And these kids are dying because I haven't done enough. Mm -hmm. And like, it it feels very, um, very defeating almost rather than than glorifying though i can absolutely see mm-hmm. how that score might might send that message against the lighting and the score and like a lot of the you know it's it's uh, again the victims look beautiful yeah i think you know it's an unfortunate you know i think i i agree with what you're saying but i don't know if i would personally tie it to the score i think that whenever you're going to make a movie about a serial killer you kind of have to thread this mm-hmm. this narrow line where you you know, to make a good story, you need to make the killer relatable. You need to make them sympathetic. You need to make them three-dimensional. And so you make these movies and you can glorify these people because, you know, in, in this particular movie, um, there's a scene that illustrates it really well. And this is going to tie into one of my quotes for this. But the, the killer and the killer's wife uh, have just finished, you know. He's or probably, not finished. Yeah, or not finished. They just had sex and he <gasps> he gets up. And his wife kind of like rolls over and looks at him and just calls him pathetic, you know. And because he can't, he can't even get like he can't get an erection. Like that's yeah. part of what like drives him to kill is his inability to sort of perform sexually. Like he he can't get erections, um, and he can't bring himself to climax, and he sort of needs this like violent release. Yeah, which his deficiency makes him relatable. You know, it, it almost ties it up like, okay, well, I understand why he's doing it. Yeah. And I think you have to be really careful, too, because, you yeah, know, there are a lot of movies about killers, and you don't want to make them too relatable. You don't, don't want to humanize them too much. You know, But, again, that's the scary thing about this is it's true crime. Mm-hmm. That's scarier than any zombie, than any alien, than any monster from a lake can ever be. Absolutely. Because it's... it's them among us yeah and that's and again this movie nails it because it's trains come people have to ride them everybody's going to be on there it's a wolf among the among us yeah and do you that's think care, that, it's scary here's the, the question though i guess this kind of gets almost philosophical here you know is it better to humanize the 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 killer so that we can see how close we all individually are to that evil or is it better to not humanize them so it doesn't give us something to grapple onto and relate to i think you could probably argue either point and you're you're always going to run into that problem when you're doing a movie about a killer i mean they made mm-hmm. dexter you know yeah. the, in that that tv series relatable and they that. humanized him and yeah. but i think like that's one of the brilliant like things about this film whether they intended to or not was they humanized him enough to where you're almost like okay i get it Mm-hmm. This person has pent up sexual rage. I understand mm-hmm. sort of their motivation. You know, it's not that I endorse it. It's mm-hmm. terrible. Yeah. But they're not like, they're not mm-hmm. Jason, who's just this like yeah. faceless, nameless, not nameless. <laughs> he's, yeah. you know, yeah. but faceless no, killer that's killing for no, seemingly no reason. Yeah. Like, right. he is a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, they definitely distance you, like, from the savagery of his of his murders, and you're definitely like, mm-hmm. holy shit. He is a human 
that is doing inhuman things. Mm-hmm. And I think they ride that line where they don't glorify, but they you're not so distant that you couldn't understand and and basically make it not scary because like part of what's not scary about like what you said, swamp thing and fucking monsters and shit is like they're not human. And part of what makes them not scary is they're just, we view them as mindless killing machines. Mm-hmm. And this guy was not. He was, he had a family, he had two kids yeah. and a wife, and he, and a job, he blended and he in. a party member, he kept a nine to five, and he kept uh, he all appearances disappeared, up, yeah. And he just got away for it for almost a decade. Probably more, because 50 people... 52 confirmed mm-hmm. um, over the course of, uh, you know, uh, at least, God, and like, there were so many decayed bodies, so it's probably over a decade that this killer just lived among these villagers in oh, it's Russia. Terrifying. Uh, it's in, terrifying. It's small and big towns, because the trains went everywhere. Like, mm-hmm. The trains had to run on time in the communist block. They have to. Um, and so, of course, he could just go anywhere. And like that's a, a, another thing that they had to clench down on him, is like, it clearly is the train stations. It clearly is people that can get to these areas. Well, so they, yeah, that was brilliant again. And here's the question. What What do you guys think is the, the scariest element here? You know, be it um, how almost relatable the killer is, you know? Do you think that it, the scary part is the actual crimes that he's committed? Or do you think the scariest part is the fact that bureaucracy and government, the system, was so flawed that it almost allowed this i mean it did it allowed this to continue continue you know i think that's kind of the i don't you the crime itself i guess is physically the scariest part but Mm -hmm. the the system that failed is uh, almost scarier because Mm -hmm. that's real and that exists and Mm -hmm. more more killers are going to be more fruitful because the system is broken i think the scariest part is definitely like just how seamlessly this person knit into society like there was just, you know, that that old. Unfortunately, it's an old phrase now, but that oh, he he seemed like such he a quiet so man. Quiet, yeah. He never made a buzz. Never, never thought it'd be him. <laughs> never. That's fucking uh, never scary. Never stirred up trouble at work. No. Never, never um, got in a fight ever in his life. Oh my gosh. The scariest thing for me is just like taking out the youth. Like that's your next generation, and like I. I Children predators freak me out a lot. The targeting was, like, was it's, unsettling. It's targeting is unsettling for me always. When I hear stories like that, I just like, what chemicals are shooting off in your brainstem, in your in your gray matter that's compulsing you to mutilate and abuse the you know the next part of our species? That's just ah, that freaks me out so much. Yeah. And that, that that's the real monsters, and like that exists obviously because it's based on true events. Yeah. Is there anything we didn't like? I'll jump off here and say, like, I think there's only one part of this movie that takes me a little bit out, but I think it's very easy to get over, is as, as amazing as I think Stephen Ray did in this movie, I think his Russian accent left a little something to be desired. Um, no one was a, a plus on, on Russia. Yeah, but I mean, it's definitely something that you can just ignore. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's it does not good. ruin the film. It just sort of, if you're nitpicking, it's a little, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one thing, I don't know why this jumped out at me, but the movie takes place over 10 years. You're introduced to his kids, and then mm-hmm. you see his kids again 10 <laughs> years later. Watching TV. Or um, something watching like TV, it. but they haven't aged. I think <laughs> that. Not very well, anyway. The. Um, they're the mal- design it's and very mal- the they're very malnourished in the communist block mark well yeah maybe I don't know but in, <laughs> in contrast to how well they 
they showed the passage of time in other ways, yeah. I think it kind of made it jump out a little bit for me. I got gotcha. you. But that's a nitpick, really. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the pacing, um, you have to be in the right mood for it, but that's I can't really fault it for that because I think that it wasn't trying to be a you know a, a snappy, you know, exciting movie. It, it was supposed to be a slow burn because that's what it was. It pulls you along though, like I don't, it doesn't mm. stall at any points. Like it, it's not Michael Bay, you know, where it's yeah. not like you know. It holding your attention because fucking explosions and like quick cut shots, but like it's definitely like it never stalls. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a very interesting movie and, and a compelling narrative. Yeah. I would compare the pace to The Wire. You know, uh, I don't know if you guys have, have seen that. You know, but it's similar in that it's it's a slow burn. You know, you got to be invested, but it's really rewarding when you are. Quotes next. Um, I kind of tip this one i'll, I'll do my, my second one I, I mentioned pathetic earlier but um oh the one. way she says pathetic oh yeah. fuck yeah. it's so like you don't want cutting that. and then oh sorry are, are you gonna are you gonna go to the next part of that quote well i felt like it it uh, it defined the motivations of the killer uh really well my second quote though was uh he may be stupid, but he's in charge. And that was kind of in reference to Stephen Ray's issue with, the, I think, the, the party leader. And he's talking to Donald Sutherland's character about it. You know, he may be stupid, but he's in charge. You know, mm-hmm. it's that was the problem that they kept running into when they were trying to progress the case. Yeah, and sorry, rewinding the tape to your first quote. So they just finish failing having sex, and he rolls over, and she just says pathetic in this, like, fucking just acidic voice mm-hmm. and she's got she's got one of those faces where she's just like naturally disgusted about everything mm-hmm. and then he like gets dressed and starts walking out and she goes where are you going it's saturday and he goes i'm going to the factory uh, there was something i was supposed to do yesterday that i didn't and then she just looks at him and goes why doesn't that surprise me mm-hmm. and i was just like fuck uh, <laughs> dude this dude is just like as terrible as he is yeah He's definitely getting like emotionally like berated like pretty routinely, which is yeah. which is sort of like an interesting development to his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tim, how about you? Quotes. All right. Uh, the one that really stands out to me is uh, closest to the end after the interrogation. Uh, Max's character uh, comes out and is like, you know, together you guys make a, a wonderful person, <laughs> and I think, and that just cements it. Like that just uh, glorifies it that. Um, uh, Sutherland and Ray uh, together are two sides of the separate co- uh, uh, two sides of the same coin. They need to work together, otherwise uh, this would never have happened. It would n- the killer would continue on for another decade. That's definitely Easily. true. Yeah, like basically we described how their two characters work mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. and you're right. That quote puts a point on mm-hmm. what the whole movie is showing you. Right. At the very end, mm-hmm. they they call it out and mm-hmm. <laughs> together. To yeah, make I'm, one fine person, or whatever he says. <laughs> backhanded compliment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, like, again, I want to highlight any time that uh, Ray and uh, Sutherland are together in, uh, like, uh, the colonel's office or the general's office, and they're just uh, solo. They're back and forth. They're banter of, like, uh, their methods. It's awesome. Okay, so... As per usual, I've got a bunch, and I'm going to try and run through these really quick, because <laughs> I really dig this movie, and I fucking... There's so many good, powerful quotes. Uh, my absolute top favorite quote in this movie of all time, we sort of teased at it earlier, um, is when 
Stephen Ray's character first gets into that room with all of the officials, and he basically says, we've got a serial killer on our hands, blah, 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 and all of the officials are sort of going down the line, coming up with reasons as to why um, there is not a serial killer. And, you know, it could be a gang, it could be this, it could be that. And it gets to that uh, a party official, and he says, quote, there are no serial killers in the Soviet state. It is a decadent Western phenomenon. And it's just like, it's just like, yeah, like, honestly, he could have had a sledgehammer at the end of that and just like smash it on an anvil to just like drive the point home harder. Like, and of course, one of the other officials is like, well, that sounds more like wishful thinking then. And then he catches the guy's eye and the dude is just staring him down and then he just shuts up like that. That's the movie in a nutshell. Like this is that that illustrates the wall that these characters are up against. Mm -hmm. So that's my favorite quote. Um Another one that I absolutely love is, as we described in the beginning, we've got these guys that, um, we've got the police, the head of the police, and we've got Stephen Ray, who's new to the job, and there's clearly friction between the two of them. And this guy clearly doesn't like Stephen Ray. And about halfway, maybe three quarters of the way through the movie, uh, Stephen Ray is, is like going through one of the crime scenes and he's trying to document a whole bunch of shit. And the other police officers, are, like, kind of laughing and joking around, and he, like, freaks out on them. He's like, a little respect for the dead, blah, 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 and he's kind of chewing them out. And then that guy, that police chief, goes like, hey, I'll shake them up for you. I'll get them moving. The way he said it was like, don't you worry about that. I'll take care of it for you. And it, it it's just, like, a brilliant illustration of the, the respect that he's gathered for Stephen Ray's character throughout the film. It's such a beautiful turning point, and you don't have to put a fine point on it and say, like, I respect you! Like, it's done so beautifully through the dialogue yeah. in that quote. Again, not clunky. It's great because it's, like, at least halfway through the case. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I'd say, like, 86 when this happens. And uh, that uh, plainclothes police chief is like, all right, don't worry, I got him. Yeah, he's like he's got his back because like, he knows yes. he's a good detective. At this got point. his back. I think that's a good, a good. He definitely did not. It's a good not way of putting coming. it. He yeah. did not have his back in the beginning. Beginning. Yeah. And he definitely did at, in this he, scene. At this scene. And yeah. from there on out, he knows he's he knows he's actually invested. He's actually a yeah. good guy. Yeah, and it's sort of sort of in the same vein. Um, after the sort of wall comes down and Donald Sutherland's character becomes a general, mm-hmm. uh, he goes out with them. Uh, because they discover a new body, and he's seeing Stephen Ray's character sort of doing, like, a canvassing of the scene, and and he's walking through the scene by himself, Mm -hmm. and he asks that plainclothes policeman, he's like, what is he doing? And he said, "Uh, oh, he likes to get in there and investigate things before we stomp around and make too much of a mess, and basically, you know, contaminate evidence. And Donna Sutherland says, oh, that's smart. And the guy just turns to him and says, yeah, he doesn't do too much dumb. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, he's the best that's it. I know. Yeah, yeah. Is and he's he not a, a detective. Is he a good detective? He's the best detective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really is. Yeah, it, it's he doesn't do too much dumb, and that's a good mm-hmm. way of char- characterizing his character. Yes. Um, and then the final one that I really love is again after he becomes a general, uh, Donald Sutherland's character contacts the head of the FBI, and I think it's the head or some some high person at the FBI, a, a serial killer specialist. Yeah, in the United States, exactly. And he's basically like. Um, they don't show that conversation, but he is relaying this information mm-hmm. to Stephen Rea. Because okay, so much of what Donald Sutherland's character does is behind the scenes. He is a cloak and dagger, yeah, character, and like that's yeah. like never, and that's the perfect execution because it's not flamboyant. It's like what? <laughs> yeah, am I doing spy stuff? No, he's doing actual 
legwork mm-hmm. behind the scenes. He's actually doing Soviet era behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, he it's is. Awesome. He is the. He is a politician's politician. Yes. And so, anyway, so he's talking to this guy, and he's kind of relaying what that guy had said to to Stephen Ray's character. And a, like a lot of it's amazing, and it's very flattering. He talk, talks about like, oh, you know, he, the first lesson he teaches is always about you, and blah blah blah. And it's really cool. But I think the best and and sort of like I don't know, most crushing part of it is he tells Stephen Ray's character that this man quote rotates his people off of murder cases every 18 months, whether they like it or not, to prevent the inevitable psychological strain that comes along with chasing somebody you'll never catch. Mm-hmm. And, or so, I can't and remember. This the, is near it, the it, end. This is almost a decade worth yeah. of work. Yeah. And, and he, he also, he follows it up by saying, like, I pretended like I knew this, but secretly I did not, and I hope you take my sincerest apologies uh, for not doing this because Steven Ray's character does have several like breakdowns and like yeah. it, 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 it put him under incredible psychological strain. Uh, yeah. So absolutely amazing quotes, mm-hmm. amazing movie. Mm-hmm. How about ratings? What are we feeling? I was going to say also in that same scene, so like uh Sutherland says, like he told me, I wouldn't want a man like that after me. Yes. In, re- in regards yeah. to Ray's. Uh, yeah, that was what the guy said. It's like, yeah. he's, uh, in regard to, to Ray's character, yeah. he's the last person exactly. I would ever want chasing me. <laughs> exactly, because he's such. He's so tenacious. Yeah. yeah. So, I guess as far as rating goes, um, I'm going to throw 6.7 kitchen knives at this. I, it's way above the 50% mark for me. I don't have any interest necessarily in going back and rewatching it, but I am really thankful that I did have a chance to watch it. Um, so yeah, that, that six point seven kitchen knife. Uh, what are you What are you looking at, Tim? Okay, do like the performances. Do like do like the uh, severe nature of this. But again, I can't recommend it to every audience. So I will just do a solid six. Posters of Lenin in Stalingrad <laughs> uh, to the audience out there. So six out of six out of ten Stalingrad posters of Lenin. <laughs> I don't even know if it's in Stalingrad where they're taking place. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't Stalingrad. matter. I don't know where they're taking place. So uh, what are you looking at there, Colin? Um, as I've said, I love this movie, and it's it's one that I recommend um, as as often as I can. Um, I'm 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 I have to go big for this movie, and I I'm going to give it uh, an eight point five uh, Russian nice. trench coat. Um, there's a great scene involving the, the official Russian trench coat. So I'm going <laughs> to yeah. go Russian trench coats on this one. It's a good train, st- train station scene. Yeah. Excellent scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 8.5 for me. Um, okay. so anything else before we wrap up this, this episode? Um, no, I feel like we've, uh, thoroughly sliced and diced it. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, and you know what? Dolores Umbridge is a loving wife, and I would take her for my bride anytime. Honestly, yeah. she is great in this movie, yeah. and very, like so, just a world away from she's her. She's in role a minimal amount of scenes Umbridge. too. Like, that's the thing. But she's hate her in it. this, yeah. and I hated There's, her in Harry Potter. Oh yeah, no, she's, hate her in Harry she's a delight she's in this. Great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Well, that's children. <laughs> that's all for the Ultra Crepidarian review. Thank you for listening, friends. If you have any ideas for uh, movie reviews, please email us at three that's the number three men in a basement at gmail.com uh until then i'm colin mcleod mark culp over there tim magic checking out all right we'll see you in cyberspace peace